Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. All right, so Dr. Mark Rael, 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 yeah. Thank you for joining today. Really appreciate your time being here. Um, I did a little research on you, and I know that seems like you've been teaching mathematics and economics for 24 years. You're also a cross country coach, an artist. Um, you've even competed or represented Canada in the World Age Group Triathlete Championships, and now you wrote a book. How did you find time to do all this? Yeah, well, uh, the book I started about 10 years ago and I, I, I um, just got it going and did some research into aging and um, anti-aging and reverse aging. I found out there is a lot of good science on that front. So I was pretty intrigued by that because of, like you mentioned, I was doing triathlons and I'm getting older now. I'm in the uh, 60 to 65 year old age group. So uh, I don't compete against the really young bucks, but at the world championships, still these guys in my age group are very serious. Uh, They do two or three workouts a day. And uh, it's funny because even those people who are in that age group, they can tell the difference between a few years. So I remember this one guy who was 64 years old talking and we were at a bar having a couple of drinks afterwards. And he was talking to this guy who was 61. And he said to the 61 guy, you got a big advantage over me. He could feel that three years. And uh, so, you know, I started uh, researching this. I became very intrigued by it. And when you're intrigued by something, you got the time, you can find the time. Uh, So even though I was teaching, um, you know, I still have my summers off and holidays and Christmas holidays and all that. So I sort of put together the draft for the book. Uh, Chris, I did that about 10 years ago. <clears throat> and um, and then, but I've only published it this year because I, I really couldn't find a, an official traditional publisher back then. And, and that's not too surprising. It's hard to crack into the market when you're a brand new author. And science fiction is extremely competitive. So I wasn't too surprised. I just left it there and then uh, sort of fine-tuned it over the next few years. And then this year with COVID and all that and just retiring from teaching, I had lots of time. So I really updated all the science, uh, had some editors look at it very seriously. And I changed a number of chapters, added some number of chapters, threw some stuff out. And then I was very confident in publishing it and I self-published it, which is another thing that's changed in the last 10 years. Self-publishing is much more viable. So that, you know, I found the time, uh, but uh, it took a, it took a while. Yeah. It was 10 years in the making. Gotcha. Uh, well, 10 years ago is about when, so your book deals with, uh, like you just said, uh, Increasing, I guess, lifespans and age. But ten years ago is when that crisp. When I say CRISPR, it's an acronym, and that's about when the technology started coming about. Uh, is that correct? Ten or twelve years ago? 
Yeah. So 10 or 12 years ago, we just started hearing about these things, but it really blossomed and took off in the minds of the public. Uh, I would say uh, a couple of years ago when uh, Jennifer Doudna, Dr. Doudna and um, Emmanuel Charpentier, Dr. Charpentier, uh, those two um, women scientists uh, really upgraded and uh, the CRISPR technology, and they won a Nobel Prize for it. So this is just 2020, year 2020, they got the Nobel Prize. And then things really took off. Walter Isaacson came out with a book uh, this year called The Code Breaker, and it's, it's nonfiction, very, it's a bestseller. And also things like that have happened. Um, and so now it's really accelerated, and it's going to be incredible to see what happens in the next 10 years. Um, so let's explain. I have a vague definition of what CRISPR and genetic genetic engineering is. Um, so maybe we should explain that to people before we uh, start diving deeper in it. So basically, it's manipulating DNA where you take the bacteria and you can – it's almost giving it an immune system to certain viruses, correct? And then you can subtract and add DNA to basically yeah. whatever you want to down the DNA sequence. Yeah, that's right. So it's, um, it's a method of uh, literally editing – changing, uh, altering your, your genetic, genetic code, uh, of humans or, or living, uh, living organisms. Uh, it, it's pretty fundamental because you're, you're literally changing the structure, the basic structure of, uh, say a human. So it, it could lead to physical changes. Um, like for example, um, I mentioned aging, uh, stopping aging uh, and all the diseases that go with aging um, that correlate with it. So that, that's pretty physical, but it also can lead to psychological things. You think of all those things like creativity, intelligence, ambition that are also related to genetics. Uh, you know, so um, those things are also on the table, the psychological uh, things. Um, yeah. So that's pretty fundamental though. So far in history, we haven't really done that. We've done it with crops and things like that, but we haven't done it much with humans. Um, humans, natural selection has, you know, obviously gone on in the background, but it's a very slow process and we have not evolved through natural selection very quickly at all in the last several hundred years. Can't happen that quickly, but this is going to be uh, hyperbolic speed. It's going to be happening. It's already happening now and it's going to take right off. And so we're rather than nurturing humans and sort of helping them out with medicine and exercise and diet and social services and all that, we are actually going to change humans. We're going to fundamentally alter what it means to be human. And that's a, that's a big pivot in human history. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of going back on what you said. Oh, that was my dog right there. Um, going back on what you said about uh, psych- psychologically, physically changing, and then also aging, and with the uh, diseases that come with aging. Um, David Sinclair. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a mm-hmm. genetics professor at Harvard. And yeah. uh, I was listening to a podcast with him, and he talked about how I, th- I think it was a Chinese researcher developed, or he made two twin girls. And that they were immune to HIV. And I think he got a lot yeah. of backlash for it because he kept it quiet. And then he presented it just kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. So, Hei Jing Ku is the name of that scientist from China. He is now in jail uh, and was in, uh, fined and imprisoned for what he did. Because he, he crossed uh, a sort of a moral... Uh, into a moral zone that the sciences of the world do not want people doing right now. And then what he did is he, we mentioned the HIV, he took these uh, embryos and he uh, altered the genetic code in them uh, to, you know, to make them resistant to HIV using genetic engineering. But the problem with that is now that uh, that genetic code is in the it's uh, it's in the uh, it's in inheritable. So it's now in the gene pool for humans. And they really don't want people doing that right now. So um, Dr. Sinclair um, was right to uh, mention that. And many of the scientists in the world were quite upset by that. And uh, even the Chinese government clamp down. Um, Dr. Sinclair, you mentioned him. He's a pretty cool guy because he's looking into uh, reversing aging. Um, he is using um, uh, 
dogs right now, I believe, and trying to stop and reverse aging. And um, he does it not so much by changing the genetic code, which I mentioned before, but by changing the epigenome, which is sort of like, okay, you've got the genetic code, but you've got this epigenome, which is the way which sort of reads the code. It's almost like you have a book, which is the code, and then you have a reader of a book and the re- every reader sort of takes something different away from the book, you know, sure. the way they interpret it and all that. Sure. Well, he's working on the epigenome, which is a whole other fascinating area, still involving genetics, but uh, not necessarily CRISPR itself. Uh, yeah, so really cool stuff, but also dangerous stuff, like you mentioned with the Chinese scientists. Uh, he's also working, uh, Dr. Sinclair, also working on, you know, fixing blindness too, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know a lot about that sort of trajectory on yeah, his research. I just comment, wanted but, to throw uh, that out there. Just, um, yeah. but yeah, this is you know, a lot of people. You well, I guess you talked about morals and values that you're almost playing God with this type of technology and research. But I mean, one of the positives, just as we mentioned, that if you can, you know, take away certain diseases as you know the human body gets older. It's almost, you know, I would see that as a win. And plus, if you know, and reversing your age, you know, if there was a perfect age for someone who to say, yeah, I'd like to be 24 my whole life or the rest of whatever, if you're mortal or whatever. So, um, but yeah, a lot of people would say, no, this is too much. Like, and I don't know your background in religion and I don't care, but I feel like that's what a lot of people would say. No, this is not what, you know, God would want or this is just plain God. Right on. Yeah. Well, there's, I think a lot of, it's very exciting. A lot of really uh, amazing things are going to happen. Like you mentioned eradicating disease. Um, Let's look at something like um, Huntington's disease or cystic fibrosis. Those are actually, I know, I actually know people with both of the same person, but two different people with those diseases. And it's, it's very difficult on the families they often die early. Um, these people, they suffer a lot. And both of those diseases, Huntington's and cystic fibrosis, are fairly simple genetically. Uh, for example, cystic fibrosis, I think, is just one base pair that is flipped. The C and the G uh, base pairs, um, those nucleotides are flipped to G and C. So you could go in there and theoretically, um, genetically modify that and solve cystic fibrosis. Um Theoretically, they haven't, I don't think they've done it yet. But the, the other one is Huntington's. It's um, according to Francois Belize, who's up here in Canada at, at Dalhousie University. That's a prime candidate because, again, it's a fairly simple. I think it's just one gene that's involved. And so that horrible affliction could also be, be uh, uh, eradicated. And, and I think most people like you and I and most people would say that's good. Let's go for it. Um, there's no big negative you know, negative to that. Um, but there's a whole other, uh, and I'd like to, I'd love to be able to talk about this if we could, some other areas that would give me pause and would, I think will be a, a moral, uh, issue and argument for a lot of people, whether it's religious or not, um, uh, to whether should we should do this, spend money on this, uh, to attempt to this, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's in a gray area, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. Um, well, I mean, is is that one? Is there is this technology receiving a lot of funding, maybe through government, or is it all just privately based? It's a it's a hodgepodge. So, for example, in China, the Natural Science Foundation is huge there. In the United States, the National Institutes of Health and and other like universities are involved, but also private companies are heavily involved. Uh, even Jennifer Dudna, I mentioned, who got the Nobel Prize, she's involved with a company called Intelia. Uh, and um, so it's really a hodgepodge of private, public, and huge public uh, funding and um, scientists and uh, business people and, and politicians all involved. And I don't know how I want to say this, but do you think that because of those moral values, politicians and governments might stay away from publicly addressing that or is uh, just because of the backlash they might receive and they don't want the public looking negatively towards them? 
Yeah, well, actually, in my book, Age Decoded, <laughs> what I, I, I focus on a physical and a psychological, okay. and the physical is removing, like stopping aging. And the government really wants to do that because they know they will become quite popular. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, that's not that, not that everybody goes for it, but uh, I would ask you or your listeners to think, you know, if somebody offered you not to get any older, maybe even get younger, reverse your aging a bit, would you go for it if you know it's safe? And, and I also, if you know you can reverse it, like say you don't like it, you can stop it and go back. Um, I think most people would go for it, especially if it's free. In my book, it's free, publicly funded. The government wants to push it out there to remain popular. And uh, yeah, most people go for it. And uh, my book is about the implications of, okay, now that most people have gone for it, what's life really like? How did society get changed? And um, and then it also, my book has this uh, more secretive psychological manipulation that's happened that people don't know about. So, yeah, there's a talking about reverse and age and like that was, you know, I'm going to, I'm turn 35 this year and <laughs> I just competed in a CrossFit competition yesterday. And, oh, awesome. Good. Yeah. And that's why, um, you know, I was able to do this yesterday, but you know, some of them young bucks, like we were talking about earlier, you know, they're 25 or 27. It's like, man, you know, I wouldn't mind taking 10 years. Yeah. Of, <laughs> getting back at that 10 years back. But, um, you know, there's a Greek tale, and I don't know if you've heard it, but um, and I'm probably going to get the names or butcher their names if I remember it right. But um, I think it's Aurora, and she was a goddess, and she fell in love with a mortal, and she asked Zeus to give them immortality. Um, but and which he did, he took pity on him and gave it to him. But uh, the problem was that they didn't ask for external youth, and that they got to live forever, but they kept the aging process and basically just turned into a bag of bones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so, and so that makes you think like, yeah, you know, I would like, you know, and when you start thinking about immortality and if you would like to live forever and stuff, you know, you got to kind of, I think I would, but at also, you know, at a good age and where my brain works and I don't have any, I have a good quality of life, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. In my book, there's one, uh, intriguing character who I really enjoyed writing about. And, uh, he really, he became a stronger character. He was a minor character, but as I wrote it and did more drafts, I, I gave this guy more voice because he was uh, 76 years old, quite frail, um, but still able to think well. And he's sort of like, almost like a Buddhist, like uh, thinker, very mindful, very thoughtful. And, um, he, so he's frozen at 76, but like he said, uh, he sort of regretted, uh, stopping aging and going for it because he said, I'm really just at the precipice of death. I'm so frail physically. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at death all the time and I'm just not quite there. And, and he lives for 200 years like that, but, um, he sort of regrets, um, doing it to be honest. And, but then when they bring in reverse aging later in my book, mm-hmm. he's very tempted by that. Right. Cause that would change everything for him. Um, so that's his big decision. I won't give away his decision, but, uh, that's his decision point later. Should I go for it? So, Uh, um, from being a triathlete, I don't know, you're in a cross country coach and, you know, as you got older, is this what inspired you to kind of get into or start looking up genetic engineering and kind of, you know, wanting those, those years back of being in your prime, I guess one would say. Yeah. Um, I probably would never have had done this book if I hadn't gotten into uh, competitive running and then triathlon and I never would have gotten into running if it weren't for my daughter actually because my daughter when I was about uh, let's see 45 years old she was uh, eight or nine years old and she started running and that's sort of unusual for a younger kid a kid that age to want to run around the block and time themselves and all that right so I, I said to my wife, I better go and run with her because she can't be out on the streets, you know, all over the place on her own. Right. So I, I grabbed a pair of jogging shoes and went, started going with her. And uh, so she got me into the uh, aerobic exercise, uh, ironically. And she still is. She's a competitive runner. She runs at the university level and she does trail runs and all that. So I'm very proud of her. But yeah, so it's actually because of her, I would say it's funny how life works. Eh? One yeah, that's thing. interesting. Yeah. It got me into this, which got me really to doing the book and being on your podcast, which by the way, I'm very happy to, that you had me. I appreciate your time. I enjoy talking about, you know, 
interesting topics like this just because, you know, I, I hear about, you know, like something from David Sinclair and that makes me, you know, think about, man, there's got to be more to this and stuff like that. But yeah, I want to, let's talk about more of the, uh, the athletic side of it. Um, sure. So if this technology gets wild and crazy, um, I mean, it could affect athletes of, you know, I, I could turn into the next LeBron James, I guess, if I wanted to. You sure could. Yeah. yeah. So is there going to be any type of regulations on this? Yeah. You think? Yeah, they will impact it, I guess. The World Anti-Doping Agency, I did check, and they already have a policy against genetic engineering for to, to uh, enhance sports. So they, they wrote that about uh, six years ago. So they're, on to, they're sort of on top of this. But like with, as you know, with steroids, it's not easy to control. And some athletes and coaches will push the envelope, right? So you can write all the policies you want. But um, I, I think genetic engineering is, is going to be, yeah, it's going to be used to enhance sports, make people stronger, faster, whatever. Yeah. Have you ever seen the documentary Icarus? No, I have not. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of related. Um, it's on Netflix right now, and it talks about the Russians and the Soji Olympics and how you talk about uh, – doping and blood doping and stuff, but it was, uh, I forgot the director of it, but, um, he did the same thing that Lance Armstrong was doing was, uh, replacing his or using his red blood cells to carry more oxygen yes. through gene doping or blood doping. But it goes into detail about how, uh, Russia figured out how to get around, um, I guess the drug testing and they were using these, I forgot what company it was, but they used these special bottles that don't, nobody could break open. But they, but apparently Russia figured it out, and they were like hiding stuff through walls, and they were able to change out yeah. pee with uh, clean pee and still able to uh, uh, compete in the Olympics. But it wasn't until after that, you know, the whistleblower finally figured it out, the guy that was helping. Uh, I think his name was Bob. No, I don't remember his name. But uh, helping him to do the races and see how much better he would do just through blood doping. And yeah, really I think, I, yeah, no, I, I do think it could be a big issue, maybe not immediately, but um, in five or 10 years, let's say, uh, as this technology becomes more and more efficient and, uh, you know, it's costly too. So not every athlete's going to be able to just do this, uh, like uh, take a steroid, but, um, you know, a very sophisticated operation, like a, a country, like a country backed like Russia or whatever, China, I could see China or somebody, you know, with a sophisticated apparatus could try to could, could take a shot at this. And, uh, you know, some people think it's fair because like some athletes are good because they're just blessed with good genes. Right. So why can't other people access good genes of their own? Right. So it's like, it makes it, yeah. And that's an interesting argument too. Right. So, um, but, uh, we'll see. Yeah. I, I do think it will be, um, the sports world will be affected by this. I do think so. And not only the sports world, but I mean, you know, you talked about it's changing uh, your psychological manner and that maybe get better, but I think you use the word creativity and yeah. I'm sure. Um, what is this? Is Would this be available for, let's say someone like me to buy this on the, this technology on the black market and not, if I figured out how to do it, I could go in there and subtract and add my own DNA, yeah. what I yeah. want and just sitting in my own house. Yeah, apparently people are already doing this, ingesting, ingesting, uh, ingesting products that they think will change their genes. I'm not sure how efficacy, how much efficacy there is on those yet, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, it'll probably be available. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the psychological thing is intriguing too because a lot of sports psychology is important, and, and but even not sports. Let's say something like. Um, uh, I was just reading something the other day about um, um, the bipolar disease, which is another horrible affliction. I know somebody with that too. And um, <clears throat> the, they discovered the, it was a, a research institute in New York. I think it's called the Icon School of Medicine in New York. And they, they, they discovered um, something like 60 or 65 genes involved with that disorder. So that's pretty complex. You got that many genes. But, uh, and, and 30 or so of those were brand new. They had no idea. So they thought it was about half that number of genes. But anyway, they use like complex correlations with genetic codes that they see. And then the people who have the disorder and they sort of do correlations and all that. So they figure it's 65 genes. But the interesting thing is something like 17 of those genes were also associated with schizophrenia. 
And then seven, I think, or seven or eight were also uh, quite associated with depression. So that just shows you how complex we are as humans, right? You've got overlapping genes and overlapping conditions. So it's, it's just not so simple. Let's say you wanted to eliminate schizophrenia by, you know, editing those 67 genes. You're, you're probably going to affect uh, depression or, or sorry, eliminate bipolar i meant Mm -hmm. uh you could affect schizophrenia and depression and it may not be in a good way it could be so let's say let's go back to something like something positive like intelligence or creativity there they are um you know they're researching that and trying to figure out which genes are involved and that's complex too but let's say you do improve um I don't know, creativity, you may, you may also increase the chances of schizophrenia or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, who knows those two could be really correlated. I'm thinking of John Nash, who won the, the Nobel prize. You remember the movie, the beautiful mind, he was schizophrenic oh, yeah. and very creative, creative. And a lot of very creative people are, have mental disease of other sorts. So who knows how these things are all overlapping in in the complex way that, a god or whoever you believe designed us right right uh so you talking about eliminating depression or will we see any side effects if you know somebody came in and changed my dna code i mean i mean would there yeah, be, that, there, there's got to be something else that would happen there is and uh, i mentioned francois Bailey's up here in canada she wrote a book called altered inheritance and she's 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 brilliant, and she talks about the unintended effects, the side effects of CRISPR technology. Said sort of a warning signal on that. Um, but CRISPR is only the technology of today. It's pretty good, okay. but um, it's there will be other technologies that will probably replace. I was just reading about something called R. I think it's called RLR, um, Harvard University, which is um, retro library. Um, can't. I should know this, the acronym, but recombinating. So yeah, retro library, quite a, quite a, yeah. So they feel that that will be more efficient than CRISPR and safer with less of those, what you said, side effects or negatives. So it's, it's all evolving and it's, it's so exciting. I, I'm, I'm pretty upbeat on this actually. But I, I am nervous about, like, as with any new technology, like say nuclear technology, the way that worked out, right, for yeah. humans. Yeah. Um, you know, we have, there's been a lot of good things. Here in Ontario, we have uh, something like 50 to 60% of our energy is provided by nuclear, and which is one of the best of the world on that front. And uh, most of the rest is hydroelectric. So we have almost zero, uh, like we have some we don't have any coal plants or anything. We have a little bit of um, gas plant. Uh, so most of our electricity is renewable and we're, we're one of the leaders. Nuclear has been great in many ways, but um, you know, we've had proliferation of nuclear weapons and uh, treaties that try to stop that. And we've had, we had the bomb has been used a couple of times. We have to always watch that. Right. So I think, uh, I think genetic engineering is going to be like going to be like that. It's going to be so profound, but we're going to have to watch it carefully and harness it positively. Yeah, I got a couple of thoughts on what you, on what you just said, and hopefully I don't forget them. But that's impressive that Ontario is using that much uh, renewable energy. I've been trying to keep up to a little bit with that, and I think Greenland or Iceland's doing that as well, and they use almost geothermal energy, and it's almost one hundred percent. And uh, but you know, like you just said that. You know, hopefully we don't blow ourselves up one day with a nuclear bomb and uh, in civilization. But um, could this be, you know, this genetic engineering and using CRISPR? CRISPR is just a new technology itself, you know, 10 to 12 years old, like we said earlier. So and look at, you know, what core computers are today compared to where they were first at. But do you think this is something that that will take our civilization to longer periods in the future? Like, you know, your book is a. I think it's 100, 200 years in the future. I mean, we'll colonize Mars with this technology or? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh, I think colonizing Mars will involve all sorts of technologies, right? Like artificial intelligence and whatnot. Uh, I had a bit of fun with that in the book too, because uh, I've never, I've never written fiction. I've never tried science fiction. So I had to, I did have to project uh, going 200 years into the future in New York, but in the main localities are New Orleans and New York. And I've been to both of those cities, but I don't know them very well. So I had to read, 
research them and try to figure out what are they going to be like in 200 years? And, uh, and, you know, is New York going to have a subway and, uh, is, uh, is that big causeway, the like Pochetta train in, uh, in New Orleans, is it going to be, are you going to be able to ride bikes over there? E-bikes? Cause right now I don't think you can. Right. So. Uh, so I added that in just for, you know, some, but there's, there's going to be so many, uh, other technologies, um, in my book, I, I add in a, a neurophysiological element too, because I think that things like smartphones, which have obviously revolutionized us, um, won't be around. It'll be more like a neuro integrated uh, device where you, rather than you know pressing buttons on your smartphone, you just sort of think the commands in your mind and then you can see the screen in your mind and project it to others and, and even communicate with others through that mechanism. So that, that neuro integrated, I call them neuro integrated transmitters. Well, I think something like that uh, will be there. I, I really tried to write the book as if, okay, I think this really is what's going to happen. I'm not trying to make a pie in the sky. And I, in, in all honesty, I didn't involve any other planets. I, I tried to keep it right on Earth, New York, New Orleans, uh, and really um, based on the science that I see right now. So that's called hard science fiction, where you're trying to um, project based on the current scientific pr principles. You're not trying to do something really crazy. Um, which is more fantasy science fiction. Um, yeah. Hmm. I'll talk about artificial intelligence and do you keep up with, uh, Elon Musk at all? Yeah, I, I do. And, uh, yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you were talking about, uh, using our phones and he's working on, and I don't know how far he's into it, but the Neuralink, have you heard about that? And where he's gonna, I think it's an inch diameter drill into your head and place a uh, get that device inside your head, but it's also um, going to act as a phone, and you won't even need your phone. And that, you know, he even stated that um, a quadriplegic would be able to walk again and almost even have better uh, motor control. Um, yeah, if I was graduating right now or, or going into college right now, I would study uh, neurophysiology. I think that's going to be a very exciting front. And that's that's exactly what Musk is talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, that sort of thing is in my novel, the neuro, I call them NITs, neuro integrated transmitter. And then later in my novel, they become Pico neuro integrated transmitters. And that, that Pico model, which is really hard to detect, it's much smaller, um, is becomes important for my heroine who is trying to um, deal with the government uh, and uh, she designs a Pico hero integrated transmitter, but that's about 240 years out. <laughs> so nice. Well, I mean, you know, I thought about, you know, that neurotransmitter and, you know, he was talking about, we could communicate without using words. And, you know, I think it's going to be, I'm really interested in it, but I don't know if I would want to be an early adopter to it. Yeah. In, in my book, there's some nervousness about it. And actually a lot of people don't trust them because they feel like maybe the government or someone else, maybe a corporation can listen in. So they don't use their, they can be communicate using these things without using their vocal cords, mm -hmm. just like you would, you know, message on a smartphone. But a lot of the people will communicate what's called naturally, just like, literally talk to each other when they're nervous about um, who's tracking them. But um, the other thing is uh, there's a little bit of suspicion that, um, that the government can also read your thoughts using these things, like, which that's different than reading what you're saying to other people, literally reading all your thoughts, your self thoughts. And that's a scary proposition, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, reading thoughts is real scary. And, uh, uh <laughs> Man, you just blew my mind with that one. Just, just, I mean, I've been trying to read up a little bit on free will and determination, and they got into thinking or talking about how when I say they, uh, Sam Harris in his book, but talking about how you know our thoughts might come. They don't really know where thoughts come from, but they come from us subconsciously almost. And right, right. If you know, if somebody can read your thoughts before you even think of it, I guess is just mind blowing to me. I think it's going to be part of the package because if you, if you, uh, if you think about it neurophysiologically to, uh, to be able to communicate with someone else, you did that, whatever that Elon Musk device or whatever is hooked into your brain, mm -hmm. it must be reading your thoughts itself. Right. Yes. So it's taking your thoughts and transmitting them to us. So I don't think it's much of a step to say, well, 
maybe they can just read your thoughts. Like who cares if it's being transmitted, just to stop there, read your thoughts. So that's the, again, it's a double-edged sword, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, talk, going back on morals and values, I mean, just, you know, you want people reading your thoughts and I don't. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather not either. Just because you, know, you got to have some sense of privacy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want everything you're thinking out there to the world, which some people might not care about that, but yeah. So in, in 1984 and uh, some of these other novels, the government can sort of, and I'm not totally anti-government, but someone, let's say can, a bigger thing entity can see what you're doing, right? What, what room you're in and they can see that's the, that's the nervous part for them. But this is different. This will be, they can, they can um, not just see you, but see your mind and what's going on there. I mean, it's almost superhuman power. Mm-hmm. This thing yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, things like facial recognition and all these technologies are all inching towards that, right? Where So yeah, we have to, and that's why Francois Valise, I go back to her book, she said, we need a social consensus on this. So you can't just have politicians, um, corporate um, uh, pharmaceutical companies and large government founding funding agencies. Mm-hmm. We need regular people like you and I, um, all the people involved in these decisions about genetic engineering, whether it's athletes or scientists or medical people, because it's got such wonderful possibilities, but we do need to watch it. And we need a, we need a broad consensus and a sort of a very close um, participation and watching on all of this. Uh, so that's her message in the book. I, I think it's a great book. I'm going to mention again, it's Altered Inheritance by um, Francois Baylis. It's re- released by Harvard University Press. Um, she just wrote it, just published it about six months ago, I think. So Altered Inheritance. Yeah, I wrote that down. I've been, I've been taking little notes here and there while we've been talking. Um, well, I mean, I don't want to be too cheesy, but they say, you know, great power becomes great responsibility, right? So... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That. Peter Parker and Spider-Man said that, or his uncle did. But um, so we're talking about sci-fi into the future, 100, 200 years. Um, do you believe in you know the multi-universe theories or simulation theories? Um, anything like that? I'm I'm not uh, up on that, and. Um you're, so you're not talking about singularity here. You're talking more like in the universe. Yeah, so almost like a singularity for the universe. Uh, it just, you know, just kind of hit hit me while we were talking about Elon Musk. But he was um, on a podcast talking about living in a like he thinks that we're living in a simulation, and that and there's also another theory that there's infinite, uh, you know, Chris's and Marks out there in the world doing infinite things or having almost the same conversation but in a different way or yes X Y and Z. Um, so, I mean, this talk about sci-fi and this seems simulation and all oh, this seems to be like kind of a popular topic right now. And it's just thought I thought I yeah. would just hit on it a little bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a little beyond my interest right now, but that okay. it's still maybe good for a sequel, right? <laughs> like get a little bit beyond New York, uh, New Orleans and the earth and really go uh, crazy with this stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, Elon Musk. I mean, I wouldn't. I would never negate anything he says. He's uh, he's a. I think he's a brilliant thinker, and he's really uh, he's audacious and he's bold and he's he's a voyager. And uh, you know, somebody on I, I, I answer a lot of questions in Cora. I have a lot of fun with Cora. And somebody, I think the question was said, "Who's the uh, bravest and inventor of all time?" And I, I put down him as one of the examples of a very brave inventor. Uh, entrepreneur, you know. Oh, you know. Yeah, he's not afraid to take chances. It seems, and um, yeah, you know, he's and he's trying to think of new things. And I guess he doesn't, you know. I think he's also working on those hyper tunnels uh, to get, yeah. The, yeah, to L.A. to New York in hardly no time. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's I, like you said, he's brave and not afraid to take chances. And you know, we need people like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah, but I, I'm really not that well versed on the um, more like the alien or other um, universes and planets. Uh, yeah, just yeah. Um, but 
nothing's out of like you can, another message I'd send to your listeners is never you're never too old to stop learning and to explore things like that so maybe I will look a little bit into that uh, you know yeah it, it's kind of fun I like you know since it seems like there's a lot of alien talk uh, and there, you know those theories come out nowadays I like to kind of hit on it just to see what other people's uh, how their brains working on that especially that uh, here recently um, I don't I don't know how it works for Canada but the U.S. there, when they did that last stimulus bill, I think they gave the government 90 days to release all their UFO technology or yes. what they have on UFOs. And I don't really know what came of it. I don't think there was – I think people just kind of ignored it. That, uh, But it seems like now there's a lot more alien sightings and uh, that we hear about more. And that could be something because we all have a camera or a phone at our – like you said, at our hip at all times. So Yes, exactly. Or yeah. And then we were talking about – you know, a lot of people, I don't say a lot of people, but there's also a theory that aliens kind of help jumpstart the human human species to get us along our way. And that now that we developed uh, nuclear bombs and things, they're coming back and checking on us to make sure we're not blowing ourselves <laughs> up. <laughs> like I, I, wonder how we're, yeah. I wonder how we're doing on their report card. Yeah, like it's C, just like they're coming C down here. To, minus yeah, they're like, man, what, what are these guys doing down there? Why, why are they fighting? Let's, we got to go back and stop this. So Yeah, uh, it's funny. Well, let's jump back into your book here. Um, sure. Um, so, um, why you said it was hard to crack uh, being a, uh, to publish your book? So you self published it. Yes. Is it, is this the book industry like you said this that tough being a new author? It's very tough. Into I, it? Yeah, I think back ten years ago, I couldn't get uh, a publisher to even read one sentence of my book. Like I. If you sent them, say, I've got this great book, here's the outline, it's all about genetic engineering, um, you can send them a nice email with a description and some sample chapters. I couldn't get anybody to read. I mean, I would get a rejection letter after rejection letter saying, we're not interested in this, or you don't have a platform. Or So um, I probably sent out about 50 or 60 queries to the various publishers, um, New York, Toronto, other areas, uh, California. Um, and I got, there was one publisher who was a little bit interested in that. Unfortunately they went bankrupt. So that didn't oh, help yeah. me, but, uh, uh, not because of me, cause they never had time to get to my book, but, um, that was too bad. And then, uh, although recently I've had a publisher about two weeks ago, reach out to me. So maybe through self-publishing, a, a traditional book will pick this up because my book is only available in ebook right now and I'd love to make it a print book. So I would, um, I would collaborate with a traditional publisher. They would help me on that front and maybe get a little more international exposure too. So, uh, it, it, it's, it, the way it works now is a lot of people love self-publishing because you have way more independence. Nobody tells you what to put in there. You put in what you want on the book. You craft it the way you want. You put the, you know, nobody, vetoes your cover page, your title page or your sorry your cover design or anything like that and you just and also you retain a lot more of the um royalties like if i sell a book for 10 bucks i, I keep about seven bucks which is pretty high not that i'm able to make any money but uh but if you went with a traditional publisher there's no way you might be lucky to keep two or three dollars right so um you know there are advantages to self-publishing a lot of people have been very successful self-publishing one book after another and they have a website and they don't need they don't they are their own publisher they they figured it out so i whereas i'm sort of still on the fence i'm happy doing the self-publishing right now but um i am collaborating with a publisher right now and maybe looking into going beyond just self-publishing i like how you said that that you're self-publishing, you're able to do things how you want to do them. And, mm -hmm. you know, part of me when I started this is that, yeah, I can do it exactly how I want to do it. And I don't have, you know, average Joe over there saying, well, I don't like the way you said this and we need yeah. this. And, you know, but why don't you uh, do something, you know, with your face this time? Maybe wear glasses or I don't know. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I want to do it the way I want to do it. I don't, you know, if nobody likes it, okay, no big deal. But, yeah, um, yeah I don't and know actually, you how to do it. Yeah. And actually something like your podcast, right. Mm -hmm. Which it does help a lot of authors. So, um, Schiller, uh, Schiller select it, it, and other podcasts are very helpful because we couldn't do this, uh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And now we can, we can become marketers ourselves. Right. And yeah. 
So, and um, with the internet, with social media, you can also market on, I try to use LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and things like that. And so I'm, I'm learning and uh, there's so many ways of communicating, reaching out. Uh, and I also can run my own ads. Like right, right now I have an ad on uh, Facebook and I'm spending about 20 bucks a day on this Facebook ad. And it, mm-hmm. it, it hits people in Japan and the UK and uh, it's fun. Like actually I get comments on the ad. It's almost like, uh, you know, just uh, having a little conversation. And then on the ad, um, when people, if they make a comment, that maybe needs a response. I will respond right on the ad in the comment section. And I even put um, one of my podcasts as a comment on the ad saying, and if you want to know a little bit more about me, here's the podcast I did. And so people can go there. And so it's all sort of, it's sort of neat the way you can um, media and do it yourself and experiment. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. I've learned a lot in the last year about uh, the internet and social media, because like I say, I'm self-published. So I have to, I have to um, market my own book, right? <clears throat> is social media the, the biggest way to market right now? Yeah, including, I would include podcasts and that, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one of the great things of doing this too. And, you know, you said like, you know, you coming on here, but um, I'm getting to talk with intellectuals like yourself and just different topics that I've never done before and that I just kind of, uh, just got on my own based on what, you know, I try to read at least one book, book a month and I'm an avid, avid podcast listener and that, but just actually talking it out with somebody uh, gets these thoughts out. It makes me think a different way. And uh, yeah, it makes things more clear, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's, it's pretty fun. For sure. For sure. And I've been really impressed by, by you and, and many other podcasters. Like you see, you seem to be like a curious, very curious, open-minded group of uh people who are making things happen and uh, um, young podcasters to older ones, it doesn't matter. They're really making things happen. And um, I've been really impressed, truly. Well, I think you have to be just because it's so much fun. I mean, for me, it's fun. I mean, you're learning new stuff and uh, you know, you're also, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun and that you just change the way you think and yeah. And you're open about things, you know, just because, you know, you think one way, but, you might find out there's a better way to it or a better thought or process of it. And yeah, and I think that's kind of, you know, we're talking about social media too. And I think that's where people can go down the wrong rabbit holes. And, you know, somebody might post out a tweet of something they just read, but they, it was not a legitimate source. And then all of a sudden you have just a whole list of comments going down there and it's just like, this ain't even true. What are y'all talking about? But yeah, um, yeah. I hope that made sense. I kind of think I kind of rambled right there, but, uh, Yep. Yeah, it's good times. Um, but it also takes some courage to do a podcast like you're doing right now. And for me, too, because we're out there, we're, you know, we're broadcasting ourselves a bit. Right. And uh, and uh, but I, you know, that's uh, I, I like to throw out a quote by Helen Keller, who said uh, it's just a this quote, quote just blew my mind when I, I heard this. She said that security is mainly uh, a superstition. In other words, if you really want to make things happen in life, you have to, you have to face some insecurity. You got to be brave. So doing podcasts or even writing a book, like I know when I first pressed the button to publish this book, I didn't have an editor, right? So I had to count on friends and family and others, making sure the grammar was pretty good and all that. As soon as I pressed that button, I thought, whoa, this is out there now, right? And and I even found there, I found a couple mistakes um, that readers um, sent me on, like I missed a, quotation mark and yeah. um i think there was a word in there oh one of the characters name was messed up i got the character ahmed messed up with the character tavon which was actually a big mistake it was in one of the chapter 33 or something tavon was already dead so it couldn't be him it had to be a man right <laughs> so one of my friends read it and said mark you got a mistake here you better so the good thing about ebooks and self-publishing is you can uh, you can go back in there Luckily, he was one of the first readers, this person, and you can actually change the edit the book and then any new readers will see the improved version. And also even the older readers will get the ones who have already downloaded the book will get a notice saying they can uh, upgrade. the. So, you know, it's sort of cool that way, but it's still it makes you nervous because and also I'm not a I'm not a genetic scientist. Right. So I'm putting all these things out there thinking, Whoa, what if some, like some expert from Harvard, like David Sinclair or whatever reads this and says, this is bogus. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had to, 
you know, I had to, I did worry about that, but then again, I thought, you know what, if you took all the top scientists in the world, geneticists, genomicists, whatever you want to call them, and you put them in a room and you said, okay, project 200 years in the future. I don't know. I think it's all going to be science fiction. Like nobody's going to know for sure anyway. So, you know, uh, so it's fun, but it's, it's, uh, there's a certain insecurity from doing it. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, just like you said, you know, the first time when I was getting ready to do this podcast or just anything, just anything in life, new in life, you know, there's always some insecurities about it. And just, you know, once you press the button and you are crossing <laughs> that door, it's like, well, we did it. I don't know where this is going to go from here. Yeah, that's right. But, um, but yeah, but you know, in the end, you know, hopefully you're glad that you did it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's good stuff. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about was that in, um, you know, a lot of people, when we talk about, you know, getting a runner's high, um, but, you know, writers seem to get writer's block. Uh, is that something you dealt with when you were writing this book? A little bit. And so in that case, I would just take time off, maybe go for a run or watch television or just get away from the computer. And uh, that usually worked out. Uh, and then you can incubate, incubate as you know, with the uh, like um, fitness and CrossFit and running and things like that, <clears throat> you can, uh, it's almost like meditative, right? So you can get out there and do your thing, whether it's biking or running or swimming or whatever. Um, and you can think about things and usually it'll percolate up from your subconscious, you know, some fresh ideas. And then, then you get back, might maybe could be a couple of days later to the computer and you start, uh, afresh and usually there's no more writer's block at least for me you know i haven't had any like an extended writer's block where i couldn't do anything for several months or whatever no that hasn't happened i gotcha yeah i've always heard that you know when people actually tell you to go sleep on it or go you know go take a break it's like your brain just kind of resets and it just comes for sure. to you. yeah it's yeah. pretty interesting just how that how that works um well so you also do some painting too have you mm -hmm. also You've always you've always done that your whole life, or no? Um, so writing and painting came to be middle age and later. So okay. again, to your listeners, you never know. You could be a creative person; it might be within you. It took me a long time to find my career. I was a very slow developer, and I um, I withdrew and switched out of a couple programs and jobs before I this where I. Um, just knew it wasn't my genuine self and I didn't feel comfortable in that career. So when I finally got into teaching, I really loved it working more with humans and um, coaching. Also, I really love the coaching, especially cross country running, which is uh, just fun trying to recruit people and convince them to go through all the pain and the mud and all that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that was so much fun just convincing uh, young, you know, high school students and whatnot to do that. And then trying to make a build a team out of it, try to impress upon it. That's not, it's not just an individual sport. We've got a team here. We got your like, you know, uh, junior boys division. You need four boys. Right. And we don't get four boys across the finish line. We're nothing. We're not even, we don't count as a school. They won't even know we're here. So you top three, you, uh, you're good runners, but we need a fourth and a, even a fifth would be good for insurance. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I, I really went to town with that stuff. I really enjoyed this, the psychology of it and, like, for example, with the fourth runner, I would tell the kids, you, we should be adoring, admiring. We should be worshiping the fourth runner, whoever that is yeah. on your team, whoever fourth across the finish line, you should go up to them and say, thank you. You made our team. And the fourth runner is so pivotal. Uh, not only did they make the team, they can make the team improve a lot because uh, like the first, let's say the top runner, they might finish third in a race and then second, their position isn't going to change that much. They may be one point better. That's, that's good. It might be a lot better race for them, but it's only one point better for the school. But the fourth runner who's finishing like 110th in the race, if they have a good race, they, the next race, they could be 65th. So they picked up like, you know, what's that 30, 45 positions in the point total for the school. So a little bit of improvement for that fourth runner. And then maybe a fifth runner who tries to become the fourth runner and a sixth runner, all of those runners, the, the average runners, um, who, by the way, are out there in pain for longer than the top runners, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, it's the only sport I know where the, the less talented people are on the court for longer and it's painful. <laughs> so it's a, not really a, 
you know, blessing. It's like you, you're, you're handling more pain and for longer, more suffering. Right. So, and, and so we really tried to send that message. And I think even organizations out there, like business organizations could, could learn from that is that, you know, you all, everybody, every organization has its stars and their naturals and whatnot. And that's great. The accolades to them, but you got to really make sure your average uh, employees who can be working really hard and doing their best are recognized and, and feel like they're just as important to the team. Yeah. I ran two years across country in high school and uh, I kind of got talked into it. We were told we should do it for basketball and I just, yeah. you know, I, and, and you know, I run five K's for CrossFit and or whatever I need to do as far as that goes, but just, I don't have the body type for, I'm not a runner. I'm five, six on a tall day. And yeah, I, yeah. most of them are, long and uh kind of got more length to them and uh have a yeah. better straw than i could ever get um but talking about coaching and uh cross country what, what would you say your coaching philosophy is as far as that you know you t- being a fourth runner and promoting them yeah and- yeah so my mine is i really try to get to know the athletes as individuals <clears throat> so just get to know everybody's singularly um treat them like uh, a single uh, a unique person and uh and that really has helped me with coaching i'm also writing a book on this uh, um i've been writing i have a book that i've been sort of crafting because my daughter i mentioned i was coaching her and then she motivated me to run and then i started coaching a lot and then i of course myself got into triathlon so I, i'm writing sort of a a book. I'm trying to make it fun with some good anecdotes and all that, but also some serious um, advice for training and coaching. So that's my next project. I, I think I'm going to do that before I do a sequel to the science fiction novel. Um, we're talking about training and stuff. Uh, I mean, do you promote any specific diets for cross country runners? I, mean, I like talking about diets just with all this. Yeah, not, I'm not too, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, that's an interesting topic because like even some runners are pretty quirky as to what they take like two hours before the race or one hour before the race. Right? Yeah. They all seem to be unique as long as they can find something like if it's a peanut butter bagel, then you go for it as long as you're, it, it's worked for you in the past. So I, I, I'm pretty open as long as they experiment and find something that's good for them, but more like long-term diet. Um, it's, that would be much more important, I think for, um, uh, long distance triathloning and long distance trail, like the, the diet leading up to that race, like mm-hmm. for several days. Um, but just generally for diet, like just as an athlete or as a person, obviously I don't promote too much, too much junk food, but, um, or, you know, like as an adult, too much drinking or anything like that. Certainly no smoking. That doesn't seem to jive well with aerobics. I've heard that. <laughs> There's some, so that's some basic advice, but no, um, just a combination of carbohydrates, proteins, and, and whatnot, in the, and even some fat in the diet, I think is fine. But I do know that there are rather athletes who feel differently, and they're very strict on their diets, whether it's vegetarian or whatnot. Yeah, one of my traf- yeah, one of my traveling buddies is like that. He's very good, so maybe I should listen to. Him. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's. I always say uh, I'm an enemy of nutrition just because I. There's so many different things, like you just said, you can do, and some people say you shouldn't do, and it's just almost just like, all right, I'll figure out what works for me and just yeah. work with that. Because what works for me might not work for yourself or whatever. You yeah, know? although I've made mistakes. Like one thing I did, one mistake I did make for about a two or three races in a row I, it was I tried to lower my body weight <clears throat> because that is a factor uh, in – uh, say a half marathon or a marathon mm-hmm. or, or a longer triathlon. So just try to drive down your body weight. But I would, I made the mistake of trying to do that even a few days before the race, trying to, you know, not take too many carbohydrates and just lose another pound or two, which was really stupid because I, I, I had a couple of races where I just like went really flat the second part of the race, like had no energy. And I was thinking like, what's wrong? You're nice and light. You should be, and uh, I, you know, obviously what happened is I, <laughs> I lowered my glycogen reserves and my muscles and I, I was sort of almost like hitting the wall in a half marathon, right? Oh, no. and, uh, stupid, stupid, stupid. We all learn by mistakes. Another stupid thing I did, your listeners might want to hear this one. This is a funny one at the world championships in the triathlon. I, I went twice. So the second time I went was in Switzerland and um, I never made it through the race. 
what happened is no, I, I got into the swim and a 15 minutes before the swim, they announced no wetsuits because the water in Lake Geneva was too warm. They're actually worried about people overheating. And um, so I thought, oh my God, I haven't trained really without a wetsuit. <laughs> and I turned to my friends and said, I think I'm done here. Like, but I tried, like I tried, I got in the water and swimming uh, with a wetsuit, I'm flat and nice and, you know, like I'm, pretty efficient i'm not a great swimmer i'm really not that's uh, probably why i was training with a wetsuit right? I agree there, but me. without a wetsuit my legs were dropping down in the water like i could almost see them if i turn my head down i could see my feet and oh my god so i made it you have to go 1500 meters and it was actually windy and wavy too which made it worse I and mean, it wasn't even an out back course we were into the wind more than anything yeah. and i i made it about 500 meters i was trying dog paddles side strokes swimming underwater oh no i was I was exhausted and I, I put my hand up and said, rescue me. Like I didn't want to kill myself out there. And I thought I was going to kill myself. So I'm not going <laughs> to. So I learned a, a strong lesson, learned how to swim without a wetsuit. And I'm doing it. And now I couldn't train last. Well, last year there was no competition, no qualifiers. So I had no chance to get back at it. So, but I have been swimming, training without a wetsuit, learned my lesson. And I, I am looking forward to trying to requalify next year which would mean two years from now in Spain, I'm going to try to do this all over again. I'll still be in the 60 to 65 year old age group, um, but I'll know how to swim without a wetsuit. Well, what does it take to qualify or how do you qualify? You have to, uh, in Canada, they have a, a number of these ITU races qualifiers. So okay. when I qualified, I went to the Montreal race and I finished second in my age group. So they took the top three I think in that race, they send 10 people from every, every age group. So top three in that race went, then they would have another race out West and pick a couple people from like BC. And then they'd have the Toronto one. They pick three or four from that race. So you have to go to one of the sanctioned races and qualify finishing the age group. Um, so that's how I got in. I snuck in through Montreal. Nice. Well, <laughs> what's it like the whole, the, besides, you know, getting out there, not being able to swim without a wetsuit, but what's the rest of that experience like representing Canada? It, it was awesome. Cause I did it the year before in Amsterdam and actually it was a funny story there too. I qualified for that because they canceled the swim. <laughs> so, you know, I was qualifying in Ottawa and I was really nervous about the swim because I'm just not a good swimmer. And, uh, it looked like they were going to not allow wetsuits again. I was, and I was really worried about that. And luckily that night a storm went through. And it caused the sewage to back up in the swimming area. So for my race, uh, as I was getting ready for the start of the race, the guy next to me said, well, we're in a duathlon today. And I said, well, what do you mean by duathlon? He said, yeah, there's no swim. And I tried to, I tried to contain my smile, right? (laughs) I'm like, really? Yeah, they're replacing the swim by run. So it'd be run, bikes, uh, run. Running's my strong point, right? I'm like, Wow. So that's how I got into the world championships that year. So it worked in my favor. Uh, but uh, I was much better prepared the second year when I actually didn't finish the race just because of the swim. Yeah. Mm. Huh. I bet. I bet so. Well, um, I, you know, I, I respect what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're doing, you know, like you said, you were a slow developer and it's something that, you know, I seem to like if I find something I really enjoy, I I find it kind of later in life. And that, like you said earlier, that just because, you know, you're at a certain age, that doesn't mean you still can't do it. And, um, exactly. I respect it. And I hope to be, you know, you, you know, your age or maybe this technology takes off and, you know, keep my age where I'm at now and still be able to be athletic and be able to, you know, do a triathlons like you are. But, but yeah, that's the nice thing about the age group thing. And just back on creativity to you, people who may be listening to this, um, you, you can be creative. There's lots of things you can do, whether it's creating music, plays, um, books, uh, drawing, you never know. There's probably something inside you. And once you find your, your spot in life, you sort of that sweet spot, you'll probably start expressing yourself with, with, uh, your friends, your, grandchildren whatever uh or or beyond that uh and it's great because if you can um express yourself and impact other people in a positive way what what's what better way is it to live right i like that um i think we should take this home on that note uh ended on a positive vibe here um your book is age decoded um tell everyone where they can find the ebook or find your social media or sure. how they get in touch with you before we get off here and 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's age decoded. There's a hyphen in there, age hyphen decoded. Okay. And if they just go to their favorite retailer, like um, Amazon, the top two right now are Amazon and Apple for sales, but Indigo, Kobo, um, and there's some European ones too. Anyway, if they just search for that, they'll, it'll pop up. It's got a nice blue cover and you'll see my name on there. Mark Ryle, <coughs> um, they can order the book that way. I think it's about $10 on $10 American. Okay. Uh, but it's just an ebook right now. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's how they can, in terms of me, I don't really have a website. I know people say you're supposed to have an author website. I don't really have one, but the so my, I do have a pretty strong social media presence on, okay. um, I don't know if you provide that with the podcast, but, uh, maybe we can give them a couple links there, but Quora is probably the best one. If they want to get to know me a little better, I've, I've written a few books of answers across a lot of topics like exercise, triathloning, and also the science of aging. I, I enjoy answering questions on there and having a bit of fun with it. Uh, I also golf. So a lot of my golf ones are pretty quirky and funny. Um, so if they go to Quora and they type in Mark Ryle, M-A-R-K-R-Y-A-L-L, -L, they'll see uh, a lot of funny or insightful answers on there so um, yeah that's a good way to get to know me a bit better <coughs> that's great uh you said are you on twitter amazon and all or not amazon instagram and all that good yes stuff? i am okay. linkedin uh, and twitter and instagram i can provide you those links if you want yeah. do you got plans to do an audiobook version yeah actually that's a good question i would like to do that too so i've been exploring that yeah yes. i'm more i'm more of an audiobook kind of guy just i can yeah i can do multiple things like while i'm listening to as well so Yes. Uh, that's what I try to do. Great idea. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else you want to say or maybe a no, positive, positive message while you wrote the book or anything before we hop off? Yeah. Like I just wanted to say that thing about creativity again, just emphasize that <clears throat> people can, people, all, all people have creativity within them. They express it in different ways. There's so many ways in our life that you can be um, creative. Creative just means expressing yourself and trying to do it probably positively for other people sharing, sharing with others. So, um, I just, uh, would, um, um, encourage everyone to, to, um, give it a shot and don't think you're too old or don't think you're too much this or that. Don't let people pigeonhole you. You can, you can do this stuff, uh, and you'll find a lot of joy in it and you'll have a, a great impact on others and it, it'll live beyond you. Uh, unless they, Invent a cure for aging, then it may not be on you because you may not die. Okay, that's my final message. <laughs> love it. I love it. All right. Dr. Mark Ryle, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate this. Uh, this was a great time. I enjoyed this. Okay. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun, Chris. Good deal. All right. Bye, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.